do we have here? This looks like... Ah, that's our old friend, Mr. Codeine. That should take the old pinch out of the ankle. Want one? No thanks, I'm fine without them. Right. That's why you're standing in the Chancellor's backyard spinning that cap gun of yours. You're fine. Yeah, you're just as fit as a fucking fiddle. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. And I'm Matt. And this is episode 16, Wonder Boys. Uh, before we jump into that, though, um, just like to let everyone know we are now available on iTunes. For several episodes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technically, we have been available on iTunes. Uh, you can search for us in the podcast app on your phone and stuff like that. Um, you can still find us on Podbean. Or in more legitimate ways now. Yeah. And uh, you can email us at greatestmoments at yahoo.com. Maybe, you know, give us little notes or suggestions for topics. I mean, we probably won't listen to them anyway, but... Yeah, and don't say anything bad. Yeah, Matt won't be able to take any <laughs> negative criticism. <laughs> He's constantly on a ledge about this show as it is. <laughs> All right, so now that that's out of the way, maybe we can organize like some meetups. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the very least, you know, spread the word. I mean, we're not really, you know, we're kind of like doing this like our own way at our own pace. You know, we're not too worried about how many listens we get or whatever. But you know, one way to help us out would be, you know, tell a friend who might like it. <laughs> if you can think of such a depraved <laughs> lunatic of a friend. All right, so. Wonder Boys. Take two. <laughs> yeah. We had some audio issues. And quality and issues. quality <laughs> issues with the first go around. <laughs> um, Wonder Boys came out in 2000. It was filmed here in Pittsburgh, directed by Curtis Hansen, based on a novel by Michael Chabon, uh, adapted for the screen by Steve Cloves, starring Michael Douglas. Steve Cloves, who would go on to adapt a lot of the Harry Potter movies. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I know that name from. All right. Yeah, so. Um, Probably got him a little more financial success than this movie. Yeah, this, but this brought the critical acclaim. Yeah. <laughs> Not that the Harry Potter movies aren't well-reviewed, but you know what I mean. Um, They're for kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I think we should just put it out there ahead of time. Um, this is definitely like a a film that you might be better served to have some familiarity with, at least, uh, if you're really concerned about the plot. Um, we're not going to spend too much time trying to go through it all, because that would take forever, because there's a lot of different, you know, twists and turns and intricate little things and random things and and frankly a lot of it is inconsequential anyway 
Yeah, I mean, there's a good story, and the story's engaging and entertaining. Yeah. But, I mean, we're not really going to just, you know, do all that. I mean, it, the film has, like, a lot of insanity, like dead dogs and Marilyn Monroe memorabilia, theft, adultery, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto, guns, cops, a transvestite, <laughs> lies, secrets, drugs. But, I mean, it's... Howard n- Johnson's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> a mythical Howard Johnson's <laughs> in the Bell Vernon area. Um, but it's not as crazy as all that makes it out to be. It's not about any of those things per se. Um, you know, it's it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it has all those crazy elements, but it feels real. Slice it, of life, as I like to say. Yeah, and I mean, it definitely uh, trades in sweet nostalgia Rather than the more salacious elements of its own plot, you know, um, there's a restraint that keeps the characters relatable. Yes. And likable. Yeah. Regardless of what they may or may not do, you know, in the movie. Yeah, that's true. There's not like a ton of elevated conflict between any of the characters, really. Right, I mean, Michael Douglas plays uh, Professor Grady Tripp, and we start the movie with his wife ha- having left that day. And yeah. it's basically about that weekend that then transpires. And his lack of concern over <laughs> his wife leaving. Yeah, I mean, it felt like probably a long time coming kind of thing. Um, he's got the big word fest going on at work uh, with his... Uh, editor in town played by robert downey jr uh who's looking for his second art imitating life a little bit with his <laughs> yeah very uh he's got what like some codeine and some yeah. <laughs> some of the liquor bottles from a plane and like you know, that kind of stuff stashed away he's kind of you know he's looking for a good time uh and he's also looking for uh grady's uh second novel because it's been quite a few years since the first one right and his own success very much tied to grady's right and you know we kind of like we meet a couple of his students uh james lear played by toby mcguire and hannah green played by katie holmes who also happens to be living in (laughs) michael douglas's house or grady's house yeah she somehow was able to beat all the other candidates that applied to live there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it is it any wonder that uh, Grady's wife decided to leave? <laughs> uh, you know, looking to rent the house out to a uh, student, maybe get a little extra cash, just also happens to be someone that looks like Katie Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting how that all plays yeah. out. Yeah. Wonder if she always was good with it's the similar rent or, to the uh, like celebrities picking the nanny. <laughs> um, you know, if she, she seemed the most qualified to live here. <laughs> if she happened to be late on the rent, you know, a couple times, I wonder if that, you know, if she was really held to like a, <laughs> a hard line on that, or if she got a little yeah. leeway. <laughs> and you know, now that uh, Grady's wife is gone. Um, she definitely is, uh, you know, interested, it seems like. Right, which begs the question as to when 
that whole plan started from her perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, she doesn't wait very long before putting the moves. Yeah, and we'll get to... I think we'll get to Hannah more later. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm steering this Yeah, you shift. just let me know. <laughs> um, first, I'd like to just kind of talk about... Um, what resonates in this film for me um <laughs> because that's really what this is all about that's the most important part <laughs> is how, how do i feel um i'd say like it's very reminiscent of the beginning of the social network in a lot of ways in the in terms of its portrayal of campus life yeah uh just that frantic seemingly endless energy and exuberance that comes along with that um, something we lack in our lives. <laughs> yeah, in this podcast, definitely <laughs> lacks. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. kind of that just, like, every night feels important. Like, all or nothing. Like, um, I'd say that, like, James Lear, uh, Grady, and even Hannah, like, they're all writers, and they want to write, and they're interested in writing, and they want to go to this word fest to meet other writers and publishers and editors and they're everything they're doing seems kind of important and i think it's it's kind of a subtle way of showing like you know why college life can be infinitely appealing even when you should have long since moved on <laughs> and it's like i definitely feel like grady is acting more like a grad student than right a tenured professor. Yeah. I mean, his personal life is playing out like a student's personal life. Uh, he's having an affair with a woman who happens to be the Dean played by, uh, Francis <laughs> and the wife McNorman. of his boss. Yeah. And, um, he's kind of living a life of a man, 25 years younger, pot smoking, philandering, all nighters, uh, various other yeah. hijinks, just complete, banger house party going on at his house granted he doesn't throw it but does yeah he's par for the course yeah he doesn't doesn't, really act like it's insane um and you know following in something that i started with the spring breakers episode i'd like to read a quote from the late (laughs) great roger ebert so if you could all just bear with me for a second because it's kind of (laughs) long but i think when i read this it kind of encapsulated how i felt And that's why I wanted to read it. I mean, he says, My father was an electrician at the University of Illinois. He never taught me a thing about electricity. Every time I walk through the English building, he said, I see the professors in their offices with their feet up on the desk, reading books and smoking their pipes. Now that's the life for you. I thought I would be an English professor. Then I got into this game. Sometimes I am overwhelmed with a sense of loss. I remember myself walking across the snowy campus at dusk, a book bag thrown over my shoulder on the way to the seminar room to drink coffee and talk about Cather or Faulkner. And I remember the endless weekends driving around town in somebody's oversized American car following rumors of parties and the emotional and romantic confusion that played out at those parties where everyone was too smart and too loaded and filled with themselves. Wonder Boys is the most accurate movie about campus life that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, when I read that, I was like, that paragraph of describing it is exactly how 
people I think romanticize their own nostalgia about college and the seeming yeah the greatness of that lack of responsibility right and the freedom and everything that comes along with it and I think like what's interesting about Wonder Boys is how it is able to portray that very quickly and very adeptly and yet also kind of remind you that Grady doesn't really belong anymore. Yeah. He's caught up in that still, but he should have moved on. And he's become a professor, and he's a writer, and he lives this romantic idea in his head of what his life should be, yet... Which is nothing, really. <laughs> he gets married, and his wives leave him. Uh, he doesn't yeah, have he never anything seems to concrete be, holding him. Never seems to be too serious about anything, but especially, you know being committed to his family (laughs) and all of that changes. And that's kind of like what the movie hinges on whenever, uh, the Dean, uh, Sarah, she reveals that she's pregnant and Mm -hmm. it's Grady's and she's not sure what she's going to do with it. And she knows he won't make a decision. Yeah. Eventually she kind of just tells him like, I'm going to make this decision on my own. You can't be relied upon. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, I think it's kind of like at that moment where he realizes that he needs to change. And it doesn't happen right that instant, but over the course of the rest of the film from there, he's kind of confronted in various ways with how things are really going in his yeah, life. Yeah, there's not really like one catalyst, but there's several kind of little catalysts along the way. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely... Another thing that definitely hits home for him is this second novel that I referenced earlier and right. how it is now 2,611 pages <laughs> and it's nowhere near done. And uh, Yeah, which is kind of double hit by with, with that because first, you know, Katie Holmes reads the book and kind of is just like, what is going on? Like, this stinks. And she like well, she isn't even like that harsh. It's more of just like there's so much here, and it just goes on and on about all these different things, like the genealogy of (laughs) horses and dental records and every single building in this town and every single thing in this town. So I think, and she she kind of has to face the fact that this book is going nowhere, and you know, kind of sucks. Yeah, and she puts it to him like. As your as our teacher, you tell us we need to make choices. Well, it doesn't seem like you made any choices in here, and I mean it's a little on the nose, but he hasn't made any choices in his real life, right? Either. Right. So then, not only does it, which it does seem like some of this kind of resonates with it. Like he's aware of this, but he doesn't want to face it. But then he loses his only copy of the book anyway. Right, through the madcap series of events, yeah, the, the, the pages that he only sequence. has one copy of blow out into the Monongahela River <laughs> and are swallowed away and there's no saving it and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now if, you know, I mean, I know that you're anxious to talk about Katie Holmes. Um, number <laughs> well, one. Unrelated to this movie. Though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she looks absolutely stunning in this movie. <laughs> Her absolute peak. <laughs> um, she probably could have had a bigger career and definitely seemed poised to have one uh, before getting mixed up with Tom Cruise. I'm not 
I'm not putting any accusations out there. I'm not saying anything, but it seemed like she was headed somewhere. And then certainly dropping out of the Dark Knight was like a good move. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But her character in this, Hannah Green, I think uh, she serves as one last like temptation for Grady. Um, She's you know a perky, fresh-faced girl already living in his house. (laughs) You know, walking around. In a giant sweatshirt and her underwear, basically, at one point, and stretching in a suggestive way to like pretty much almost show her underwear. Well, you know what yeah, I mean? and like, I mean, asking him to dance at bars and say, telling him things like, if you want to talk later, I'll, I'll be, be up. up. Yeah, <laughs> and and more, most importantly, Full she's court press. a fan of his work. She yeah, is yeah. into his writing. It's not just like, it's not necessarily that she finds him like physically attractive and you know she's not his student. I mean she's his, she's his student and looks up to him and admires him as a writer. And I mean that obviously is an interesting dynamic, you know. Yeah. That's its own kind of uh sexual tension. Um but I think it's important to note that Hannah isn't just a shallow, incomplete decoy in the story. Because, yes, she is a decoy. She's like a red herring. You think it, the first time watching this movie, the way that she's coming on to him and, you know, Grady's uh, situation in life and you're not really clear on what's going on with Sarah yet. Like, how much is he into her? Is that just a fling? Like, it's definitely, like, teased out a little bit that, like, something is going to happen there with Hannah. And so she is, like, this decoy, but... She's made whole in the end because when she does read Grady's unfinished opus, he's he basically loses some of that aura in her eyes. Yeah, it's over. And whatever she, window was open is firmly closed after that. And she, you know, her confrontation with him over, you know, the content of that novel is uh, I think uh, you know, he reacts it, defensively. <sighs> Because, like, okay, you could almost say, and this is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but just to tie it into, like, another one of our own episodes, like, you could almost say, like, she's the Wonder Boys equivalent of Lisa P. from Adventureland. She's, like, a decoy, a romantic decoy. Right. For the main story, which ends up being, you know, Grady and Sarah, who, spoiler alert, he ends up with in the end, and she has the baby, and everything works out. But... Instead of making her kind of like this obvious person that we need to dismiss, like Lisa P, when they you know made her an idiot, <laughs> I mean, she ser- actually serves a pretty reasonable sized function by being the one to read the novel and kind of throw the cold water in Grady's face to try to get him out of this stupor that he's in. Right, and also... <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be portrayed, you know, that positively that she is like this young chick kind of coming onto this married man who, you know, she had been spending time living with the wife of. But she's also like a hot chick who hangs out with this loser, <laughs> James Lear. So, I mean. Yeah, and we've barely even mentioned James to this point, yet he is like a crucial part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And is but in I mean, almost. Almost, he's in it almost as much as uh, Grady, really. So, I mean, she's not just like this shallow, terrible person, though. I mean, she's going to movies with this 
borderline psychopath. <laughs> and she is the only uh, student in class that, you know, sticks up for James's writing. Yeah, when they all trash him for writing depressing things, which... I- I mean, yeah, I mean, that isn't that, that was that maybe is one part as someone who was basically in those classes <laughs> at the University of Pittsburgh where this takes place. I can tell you that everyone wrote stories like James Lear. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much all college students want to write. Yeah. Um, if you wrote anything positive, you were probably ridiculed. Get out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, James is like, he's a catalyst for a lot of the plot points of the movie. Um, seemingly suicidal for unexplained reasons. I mean, it could have just been, you know, opposed. Misunderstood. Yeah. He shows up at the big, uh, party at the Dean's house, the kickoff word fest and Grady finds him outside and he's leering. Yeah, and he's with a got, gun. Yeah, he's got his little gun with him. Um, I don't think the intention is to portray that James Lear was going to shoot other people, though. I think uh, the implication is that he was going to kill himself, probably. Yeah, I, I mean that's the way I took it, since he seemingly was obsessed with uh, Hollywood suicides. I mean, deaths in general, but right. Hollywood suicides were most of them, and. For whatever reason, um, you know, Grady kind of takes him under his wing for this weekend and drives all around western Pennsylvania with him and gets involved. While many people point out that Grady, not the best (laughs) role model. Yeah, and one of the characteristics of James is to not, you know, tell the truth about anything. No. His backstory remains a mystery for much of the movie, and even by the end of it isn't really fully explained what his situation is exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, the Dean's husband uh, is really uh, into baseball, and, more, you know, even more specifically, uh, Joe DiMaggio, and by extension, his marriage with... Uh, Marilyn Monroe, and he happens to have the um, jacket that she wore when they were married. Yeah, I mean, he bought it probably (laughs) for some obscene amount of money in an auction. And James has like a pretty uh, emotional reaction upon seeing the jacket. Yeah, (laughs) and you were taken aback by that. uh, Yeah, upon first viewing, I uh, I I walked in while you were watching this movie, and I had never seen it. And this was the first scene that I saw, and I was just like. What's wrong with this dude? I mean, it just seemed like so insane that he would be like, I mean, he's so overcome by this that he's like sitting down like like te- a couple tears. Yeah, having like a full face. body emotional reaction to this. And you know, seconds later would murder a dog. <laughs> now, in his defense, he was attempting to rescue Professor Tripp, but Yeah, and I mean, um another thing with James is like his sexuality is kind of a big uh, question mark for the movie. Um, uh, Terry Crabtree, who is uh, Robert Downey Jr. um, He's mostly gay. I think it's according (laughs) to uh, Grady's description. Um, And, you know, he brings like a transvestite off the plane with him to this party. And, uh, (laughs) but quickly kind of dispatches with the transvestite when he meets James, who he takes an immediate liking to. Yeah. 
and it's kind of unclear buzzword for our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of unclear if James is interested in Terry Crabtree or if he's more just like easily led down whatever path, you know, whoever he's with is taking him. <laughs> if he's like just, you know, yeah. for big personalities, he'll just go along with the flow. It's kind of never really resolved either. Right. Um, they do kind of have a weird um, moment or two back at uh, Grady's house where it seems kind of like they slept together, but you're not really sure exactly what's going on. And it's yeah. never, and that's kind of the main thing with in a in a way though that's kind of how all of this plays out. Um, for as much as you know, Hannah might want to get with. Grady or you know Grady's having an affair with the Dean and Crabtree brings a transvestite and wants to get with James I mean there's a lot of like you know sexual tension and innuendo and that kind of thing but like it never like dwells upon any of that for any amount of time it's that's never like a focal point in the movie right it's more the everything else that comes along with that. It's yeah. like where the the meat of the movie, you know, lives. Yeah. It is weird because they're it is kind of like they're on this like constant ad- adventure, but like the goal of it is never really clear, you know? Like Right. Um, you know, they got a dead dog in their trunk. Um, Sarah's pregnant and Grady doesn't know what to do about it. Uh, James like, has stolen the Marilyn Monroe jacket yeah. and killed the dog. And uh, Professor Tripp's car may have been stolen at some point and get, then given to him, and he's unaware that it was stolen. I mean, there's all kinds of weird things that lead to um, random, you know, hijinks, but like we don't know. None of them are like necessarily what the movie is about. They're yeah. just part of. They're just part of the. Like, why do they drive out to Grady's in-laws' house? I mean, I know he wants to try and find his wife who left just to tell her that he's sorry. But I mean, James is with him at the time. I don't even. Well, I think. I think he ended up bringing James because. The cops were looking for him, mm. and he hadn't quite figured out how he was gonna explain all explain this. Explain all this to Sarah, yeah, and because he did let James in their house, where the murder right. of the dog happened and the jacket was stolen. And yeah, and he, he's kind of already decided to try to deflect the blame when for we- at least the dog. I mean, at that point, I don't know if he's even... When they go to the in-laws' <laughs> yeah. house, I don't even know if he's aware of the Marilyn Monroe One of my favorite... Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess he is. Like, one of my favorite deliveries of dialogue in the movie is when they do eventually arrest James, and he's like, I'm not worried, uh, Professor Tripp. Are you worried? And he's just like, I'm a little worried, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is like definitely like a certain naivete to... Uh, Toby Maguire's performance that uh, is kind of endearing at times, kind of annoying at other times. But yeah. um, 
it turns out like you know regardless of what the uh, other students think about his work that uh you know he's a pretty talented writer and in the end you know crabtree is gonna bring him to uh his publisher and you know get his book published and everything and it's kind of like this big celebratory ending for it him. all works out yeah <laughs> yeah um as far as why Grady goes to his in-laws, um, yeah, I mean, he's looking for his wife, and I think that's, like, mostly... I don't want to say it's, like, perfunctory, <laughs> but, like... Yeah, I wouldn't want you to say that either. <laughs> like, it's just, like, it's almost like he's just doing it because he feels like that's what he's supposed to do. Right. But he's not... He, he he as he even tells like uh um what is it emily is his wife as he tells like her f- father he's not gonna try to get her back like, yeah that's not what this is about but then if it's not what it's about and you believe him when he says that because he doesn't really seem motivated to do that right um, but if that's the case then you are kind of left wondering like well, what was the best case scenario yeah. in this trip? Um, I will say that, you know, having read the novel before the book, that that trip is a lot different in the novel. It's a lot longer in the book. He, His wife is at the house. She does have sisters. It's like a whole act to the book. And James is there. And it's like, it's kind of just this strange thing. And it's just... I, it's interesting, and it, I, I actually do like that part of the book, but, like, it obviously made sense to, like, cut it for this. Yeah. I mean, it just would have even made this movie even longer and crazier. <laughs> right. It probably wouldn't have accomplished anything other than just to be this weird little... It would have been, like, that scene in uh, Fargo where she goes and meets uh, that guy that asian guy oh yeah and it's like it really doesn't have anything to do with anything but it's still like this great part but right. it would have went on for like 40 minutes and it just wouldn't have accomplished anything um but yeah i mean this this uh movie and book uh definitely you know hit close to home for me as an english major that went to this college yeah if the movie uh, was about <laughs> yeah speaking of college adventure just spending weeks in a row in bed not going to class was that the hustle and bustle of college life that you were referring to all right well you know not every semester was like that <laughs> just half of them um yeah i mean this was this definitely was kind of like a romanticized version of what I would have maybe imagined my life to be like had I tried to become a professor, which you know I didn't. But um, you know, it's just kind of like uh, there's just kind of this like appeal of like this lazy kind of life. It, lazy makes it sound right. bad, but that's not really it just kind of this laid back kind of existence. Um, yeah, uh, these, I, you know, Grady's only like maybe two steps more responsible than like the dude in the big Lebowski, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like a bordering that kind of, he existence. pays his bills and that might be the only thing he has on the dude. Well, and he has a, and job. He has a job. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, he's a creative type, and yeah, well, that's the these types of mo- these types of characters and these types of movies. I talked about it before with the uh, um, young adult, which obviously she's like a way more despicable <laughs> character just on the shit. I don't that know she if does. despicable is the right word, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Harder to like. Yeah. Her, yeah. Her actions in that movie could be <laughs> described as despicable probably, but that those types of characters that just resonate with me because I worry that it, I'm going to be 40 years old and like them, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it just seems, I feel I relate more to them than like, well, if there was a movie about like someone in their twenties like getting married, I don't relate to that unless they're freaking <laughs> out about it, <laughs> thinking that it's a huge mistake. <laughs> um, kind of interesting that you brought that up because um, I I couldn't help but think about this movie as like kind of a juxtaposition to Michael Douglas's 2009 film Solitary Man. Um. Not exactly the same character, but um, uh, romantic indiscretions, uh, immature life decisions, uh, a potentially severe midlife crisis, um, a man who ends up back at his college campus, um, you know, trying to find like some kind of solid ground, some kind of like a reset button for himself. Um, if some of the surrounding story details are ignored, um, I, I mean, potentially, uh, that film solitary man could serve as like a vision of Grady 10 to 15 years in the future. If he wasn't able to eventually find his get way it together. Yeah. Um, I don't want to like get super into what that movie's about. It's a, it's, it's a lot darker and more bleak than this. Um, this is, you know, mostly lighthearted right i think like there's an element of dark humor to it yes definitely but like we said a happy ending and everything right um which i think is earned in this particular film but um yeah i mean there's definitely like if you were to like track out you know grady's life you know going forward past the events of this movie if he doesn't end up getting it together, you know, get, like realizing that this novel that he's working on is just a pot-induced mess of endless amounts of words. And, you know, he doesn't take some responsibility for some of the things in his life, including, you know, this child that is potentially going to be happening with a married woman. Um, and, you know... He, you know, you definitely, I guess it's like, you know, he's definitely a guy who's supposed to be at least in his late 40s, if not into his 50s. I mean, I think Michael Douglas was older, but, you know, if you want to say like 50-ish and it's like, I guess the one positive could be like, you know, it's never too late to like try to get it together. Well, that whole Um, thing that Katie Holmes says to him about not making any choices, I think goes for, you know, a lot more than his book which you were kind of alluding to but like yeah but i just mean to elaborate on that i it kind of seems like you know people make these comments to him when his his wife leaves and robert downey jr is like oh you'll meet another one she'll be young and pretty like kind of seemingly insinuating that he's maybe had a couple wives or something 
in the book, I think Emily was wife three. Um, and it kind of seems like, at least the gist that I'm getting is like, it's not like maybe he pursued these relationships as much as they may have just fallen into him. And he kind of just went along with it, got married, didn't really right. try to have kids. You know what I mean? And then it's like, even this whole thing where he's impregnated is he seems like he's very much just takes things as they come. Not really. Yeah. Actively pursuing sure. anything. Yeah. Which I also find relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Big time for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, I guess, you know, in the end he's able to, uh, wake up from this. And I think, you know, losing the novel is kind of the big, you know, moment for him. Yeah. It's just like, what are you doing, dude? Like, get it together. <laughs> this novel is a mess. You, you better to just scrap it and start over, which is the implication as like, we cut to the last scene and he's actually typing on a computer rather than on a typewriter. Because apparently, you know, he learned that maybe not, ha- not maybe it'd be better to have yeah. more than one copy like a backup yeah you know and he's basically writing the story that we just witnessed like it's one of those type moves kind of like stand by me or something like that (laughs) and you know james lear was stabbed in the throat (laughs) and then howard johnson's waiting to pay his bill (laughs) yeah i kind of i do wish that there was still like a howard johnson somewhere in the area yeah remember when they went to a howard johnson's on mad men yeah i was just uh, watching that episode the other day. Of course you were. Yeah. Um. So I mean, yeah. Just what? Uh. I I would say that like I would like this film probably no matter where I lived, but there's just like a special yeah relationship for me personally. It taking place, you know, at the college I went to and everything. And yeah, I'm a big fan of this type of narrative. Just these kind of odd stories that take place over a short period of time with. Like we said, it it seems like this long adventure, even though everything that happens isn't like that major, other than you know him losing his book. But yeah, and I mean, um, Michael Shabon wrote the Mysteries of Pittsburgh, which I think we referenced in maybe Adventureland and some other episodes. Because it's it's a it's a it's probably like my favorite novel. Um, the movie is not that good and changes a lot from the book. Um, but but Sienna Miller in it true which i've already referenced on the podcast before yeah i mean any actress that does like a nude scene (laughs) (laughs) just constantly brought up on this podcast but yeah i mean these are two like kind of companion type stories same like location same kind of feel and you know just like a big fan and that's why it's a greatest moment in my opinion yeah and i mean you know i won't go on too much longer but just to another thing that about some uh, about us uh, <laughs> can't even get her name out. Cinema. Never mind. Uh, yeah, no. The other thing that kind of resonates with me, or at least you know, really makes me think. In when we were watching this, you just sort of casually said, "See, it just never ends." Like just the idea <laughs> of these people in their forties, and it's like his wife just left him. He's knocked up a married chick. It is just like... He's got a friggin' smokehouse living in his house. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with I mean, her. Yeah. It's, it's just, just like... So you, sometimes you like start to really glorify that life of, oh, yeah, I'll get married and you know things will calm down and everything will be fine. No. It never ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I assume that there are some happily married people out there, but, you know... <laughs> the divorce rate would tell <laughs> yeah. us otherwise. It's like eventually, you know... 
some weird stuff might happen. But that's but the thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it, that I mean, that kind of goes along with like what I was saying before about how he's just kind of trapped in this like mindset of being in college still, even though he really should have been beyond that because he's been married and he has like a steady job and like yes, his job is at the college, but that doesn't mean he has to act like he's still in college. You know, he's still like smoking a lot of weed and kind of skating by on a novel he wrote seven years ago and not really you know moving forward in any kind of way All right so yeah i mean i think that should wrap it up for wonder boys unless you have anything else no i'm good i, <laughs> I mean i could talk about some of that stuff for you know hours but <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for off mic so yeah i mean find us on itunes subscribe um, you can also subscribe on the Podbean site if you click the RSS feed at the bottom. Um, if you, I mean, it'd probably be better if you went on with your phone and just if had that podcast app that you get with your iPhone and that whole deal, but whatever. Figure out a way to subscribe. Uh, you can rate and review us now yeah. on iTunes. Just be careful. Be gentle. It, don't give us a Katie Holmes level. <laughs> don't say <laughs> anything down. like 80% less Matt or else... <laughs> You know, Matt will have like a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Podcast over. <laughs> yeah, and you can send us emails or whatever. You know, just try to support us because <laughs> Matt needs it. <laughs> um, I need it too. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's it. See ya. <laughs> Later. <laughs>